Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of 17 Minutes of Science. We are definitely happy to be back this week after our brief hiatus last Tuesday. Uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time, my name is Anna Malinkovic, and I'm a technical solutions and application scientist with InVivo Biosystems. Uh, joining me this week is Kimberly Richardson, and our discussion today will focus on a combination of healthcare, patient advocacy, and a little bit of policy. Uh, Kimberly joins us from her base in Chicago, where her advocacy work for both cancer patients and cancer research has been very instrumental in the development of the Survivors Advising Scientists Education Program. And this is a educational program model that connects young investigators with cancer patients, survivors, research advocates, and allies to both increase their scientific knowledge and also create a feedback loop for, from the patient to the researcher. Now, Kimberly identified this gap between patient and researcher when undergoing her own treatment and has since worked tirelessly to create an educational framework that can be adopted on a national scale. So welcome, Kimberly, and thank you again for your time and joining us today. Um, I'd like to hand it over to you to hear firsthand from you about your background and your experiences and specifically, you know, in pinpointing this gap. Uh, and then perhaps we can dive into some of the questions on our plate. So. Okay. Well, thank you, Anna. Thank you for having me. Again, my name is Kimberly Richardson. I'm here in Chicago, uh, born and raised. Uh, in 2013, I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, uh, a rare form granuloso cell tumor cancer. Um, and throughout both my treatment and through, particularly through treatment, um, I, I noticed and, uh, and felt that there was a disconnect between myself and my oncologist, asking lots of questions, not getting as many answers, and additionally, not having as much information on the internet about this rare form of cancer. And so once I finished treatment, I uh, was very much interested and where is the information that someone like myself, who first is in a rare cancer uh, category, and then within that rare cancer, have a, another rare form, a rather, another rare subtype, where would I start to find information? And so I reaching out to advocacy groups and trying to find out more information, it became very clear to me that there's a gap uh, of information for patients and caregivers and even new advocates as it relates to the cancer research. Uh, when I first got started, I was in policy advocacy, which was a lot of going to the Hill and talking to elected officials and talking to them and persuading them to increase funding around ovarian cancer research. But then I kind of realized I didn't really know that much about the actual research myself. And so when I began to dig in, that's when I realized there's this language uh, that scientific, uh, that researchers use that I don't think that the average patient or caregiver knows that language. And so I was able to, over uh, several years of doing advocacy, uh, get, I was able to get involved with the Cancer Center here in Chicago and uh, unite with a few uh, enthusiastic students about putting some modules together where we talk about all the basics that it takes for anyone who is uh, engaged in scientific research or going to a conference, either whether it would be scientific or medical, uh, where they could actually understand 
what those scientific posters say and the meaning behind that research. Yeah, that is a very interesting concept. And um, I think, again, we touched on it when we connected earlier about that idea of a very specific language for science and likewise a very specific language potentially, you know, for clinicians in the medical field and how, you know, those bubbles exist very separate from each other and definitely separate from, you know, the language that a patient understands and, and wants to hear. So um, this actually brings us to our very first question and I do have our handy dandy timer set, yeah. um, but kind of as, as a patient and a survivor yourself, you have this opportunity to function as a bit of a translator of sorts, again, between mm -hmm. patients and researchers. So um, kind of how do you think this has helped you to have an impactful voice on both sides of that conversation? Well, part of my diagnosis, um, I ran a not-for-profit which did a lot of economic development research. And so I was a bit familiar with experimental design and so when I began to really look at scientific posters, I said, this is a language that needs to be broken down. Aside from being an executive director, I was also an adjunct professor. So the teacher in me <laughs> felt that this was, this needed to be broken down in easy to understand language. And once you do that, from my sort of community uh, development background, education is empowerment. And so in my mind, uh, breaking these, this information down into easy to understand language uh, translates to policy. When we understand how cancer research is done, cancer patients as the living expert can add their layer of understanding and be able to persuade better uh, those who make those decisions around funding, those that make the decisions around how a research design is created, mm -hmm. how a study is conducted. Uh, but at the end of the day, the research is about the cancer patient. And if we don't understand that language, everyone is just still operating in silos and still doesn't get to what I believe is the core of the answer mm -hmm. toward the cure. Yeah, that's, that's a very unique way of looking at it, but I think a very necessary one. Um, and kind of on top of that, you kind of underscore the point of it's not a one size fits all concept, um, you know, how people learn and how people understand and how people absorb information. Absolutely, absolutely. So that's one of the things we wanted to ensure with the, with the training modules, that it was bi-directional. Oftentimes when we go to conferences or we are on webinars, someone is talking at us, hmm. right? And then we're just down, we're taking down notes. But as cancer patients, in order for us to really absorb information, it has to be a bi-directional conversation. And the way we attempted to do that with the modules were first to let the students, the MD, PhD students create the models based on their background expertise and educational um, way of learning. And then we gave those modules to patient advocates nationwide and asked them to evaluate it. Tell me what you learned. Tell me what's difficult. What slide makes sense? What slide doesn't make sense? Uh, the, the patient advocates were able to do that. And even down to the most minute of things like 
you talk too fast. <laughs> Anything that would take away from their ability to learn, right? And so that conversation was then put in written form to the students. They took that information in and made evaluative um, changes where necessary. And the really cool part about that process was that the students then wrote back to each one of the advocates and said, thank you for these recommendations. Here are where we made changes and here are where we could not make changes and here are the reasons why. So again, that, that level of bi-directional um, teaching is so important to this type of process. And I'm really super proud that both the patient advocates and the scientists were right, on, uh, right in tune with one another when it comes to that type of work. That, that's amazing. It's definitely, um, you see the necessity of this kind of constant flow of conversation just to, to keep fine tuning things. That's awesome. Exactly, exactly. And uh, this actually brought us right into our second question. You absolutely touched on it already is just um, what the process was like of, of starting, you know, this program, the survive, survive excuse me, it's a mouthful for me. Know, <laughs> Survivors awesome. Advising Scientists Educational Program. Um, the process and, you know, any specific challenges that you may have had to tackle that were a surprise, maybe? Um, you know, you can I say no if there's not. <laughs> if there was a surprise, I think there was maybe, I may be speaking for the students, but I think for the students, they, when we talked about it initially, they were like, oh yeah, no problem. We'll put those slides together. And then when they got feedback from, uh, you know, pages of feedback, from patient advocates, it was like, oh, I thought I did explain that in easiest, my easiest to understand language. So th that gave them a, a chance to see, oh, there's a little, there's another layer of me that could be exposed. My humanity can come through my research. And I think that's the most powerful lesson of all for all of us that we, that we learn through this process. There's no like big eyes and little U's. We're all experts in our way, it's just that the patient is the living expert. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, pointing out the, the, the idea of humanity behind all of this definitely is, is a very moving concept, for sure. Yeah, I think we get lost in that, you know? This is cancer research and everybody wants to be super serious about what they do. And then, you know, the cancer patient is uh, progressing through a, a treatment plan and that's not, that's not nice. Uh, so, you know, we all forget that there's, that that's the thing that connects us as human beings, this, this uh, desire to do something as it relates to cancer research. Almost every uh, scientist, if you ask them, have some real reason why they chose cancer research. And it is related back to humanity. So yeah. Yeah. it's either a grandparent or some relative that passed away from a from a particular cancer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah. There's there's personal motivation and and yeah, there's humanity behind that. Um, so you you touched on also you're, we're getting into our line of questions, which is I love this conversation style versus you know question one, question two. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know you touched on some of the surprising findings. Were there maybe any assumptions that were actually confirmed after running through the modules with the, the researchers and you know the advocates and patients? Um, well, we did a few, uh, we did have a few patient advocates. Uh, like I said, they were all nationwide. And so I think 
some things that sort of was striking to me was uh, the level of contact that certain patient advocates had already had, uh, if they were already patient advocates, how many of them actually had real relationships with researchers um, in certain uh, parts of the states, particularly the, the advocates that participated from the South, haven't had as many relationships with uh, researchers as mm -hmm. the Midwest or uh, are the ones who participated from the East Coast. Okay, that's very interesting. Um, yeah. So it's, it, begs the, it begs the difference that there's a gap there as well. Yes, exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that there more, should be more connections for those patient advocates across cancer types uh, in the Southern states, particularly at cancer centers down there. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, you know, highlighting an, an immediate result and an immediate impact from just, you know, the initial round of doing this kind of work, yeah. um, which already is, you know, a huge step and an actionable thing that you can chase up on. Um, yeah, I mean, anecdotal, but still, I think it's important to, for those patient advocates down there to say, you know, this is, this was just one step for us to learn more. And now how can we get more and more connected? Mm -hmm. to either cancer centers or advocacy organizations or to uh, conferences in, in some meaningful way where we can learn more. Yeah. So this also touches on the, the concept of, you know, scaling and growing the program. Um, yes. So yeah, I mean, I love the excitement on your face uh, because <laughs> it is exciting. So tell us about, you know, your vision and the future of the program and, you know, the impacts you hope to see. I know we, we touched on before on hopefully getting it to a national scale and like more actively and, and more solidly. So definitely please tell us about that. I am excited about it because not only are the students interested in continuing to do training modules, uh, they are putting these, uh, uh, these, these exercises as a part of their F30 uh, training grants, research grants, uh, they just want to be involved. Uh, they'll be doing modules like once a month for us. Uh, but right now, I am uh, just left a meeting yesterday where uh, we're looking at the clinical trials and our cl clinical trials team at the Cancer Center uh, are developing modules like straight from my experiences from coming to, from different conferences, uh, different conferences where, you know, I've always had these notes and went, well, why is this happening? And, why didn't they answer this? Or why wasn't this question raised? And so again, trying to find that way of hearing information from my own, from my own ears and then trying to translate that and say, would a caretaker or a care uh, patient who's just recently diagnosed, if uh, would they know how to search out this information on clinical trials? Would they know to ask their oncologist uh, upon diagnosis? Um, do they even know where to find information about clinical trials? And then, of course, uh, for persons of color, we're also dealing with those issues of uh, mistrust. And so there is so much that needs to be done around the education of clinical trials. And so I'm really happy to announce we'll be doing about four or six modules around clinical trials, and they'll be ready early in the fall. Oh, um, so as, aside from modules, we're going to we're trying to really expand because the whole idea is not to just to train, but it's to empower. So if we have all these training modules, what would, how would that take a, a patient advocate to the next level? Now that patient advocate can participate in a research design. 
they can uh, sit around the table and do more ovarian cancer or other cancer uh, proposals and reviews. They could publish, right? They can do posters mm -hmm. at scientific and uh, medical conferences. It's, it's just the application of what you learn. And that's really where I see the future of survivors advising scientists, that educational program. That's where I see it going. That's fantastic. And yeah, just getting, again, at the, at the end of the day, it's it's the empowerment of education, like you mentioned at the, the beginning of our conversation. And that has such broad reaching effects. Um, so I don't know, the, the concept of education in, in any sense is, is really near and dear to my heart. So I can fully stand behind everything you're doing and it makes me excited. Um, when it comes to cancer patients, we need to be able to, there shouldn't be platitudes around shared decision-making. It should be real. Right. Mm -hmm. And it can only be real if we have a shared language, mm -hmm. right? Then when you tell me something I can, as an oncologist, I can hear that information and then I can make an intelligent decision. Right. And I think that's what's missing. And, you know, and everybody that is in the conversation then feels like they are included, that they are on top of it, that they aren't, you know, waiting in the background to, to, to try and raise their hand later at some point. It's, it's a little more holistic for everyone that might be involved, it sounds like, which is great. Yeah. Um, and, um, Kind of this, uh, we've got about a minute left. So kind of, I know it goes by really fast. So yeah. um, but going back to, to the idea of, you know, growing and expanding this program, um, kind of, I have, I have so many questions now, I have to pick one. But um, you touched initially on, uh, when we spoke earlier, on a virtual poster challenge. And I think yes, yes, thank you for that. goes a bit towards that. So let's touch on that. Yes, really quickly. We announced that yesterday. Uh, uh, the whole idea was something that I came up with in April and a shout out to the UIC Cancer Center that supports all of my ideas. I just love you guys for that. But um, yeah, I, I'm interested because of COVID-19, these students didn't get an opportunity to really participate in any spring symposiums or go to ASCO or, you know, or sort of get that whole uh, experience of uh, doing their posters mm -hmm. and so we just tried to take the in-person competition and make it virtual and so we're starting here in, in Chicago at our cancer center and the hope is is that we can uh, challenge other cancer centers nationwide to do so as well I'm sure these students are ready to go back to school but I'm sure they would really like to talk about their research too mm -hmm. so we're looking forward to this challenge. Okay. So how long is this, does the challenge last? What's the end date? Uh, they, have, they have about a week to turn around their audio presentations to us. And then the coolest part about it is, is that they're going to be patient advocates that are going to be reviewing the audio presentations. So the, a large, large uh, part of the criteria is going to be based on how well they can present their poster in easy to understand language. Perfect. We have some faculty judges, of course, that are going to be judging on scholarly content. Mm -hmm. But once again, it's how survivors get an opportunity to interact with scientists. And just again, as the Cancer Center allows me to, to, to try to try out all these initiatives, it's just, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing time for me. Awesome. 
Well, that sounds like a lot of fun for everyone involved and hopefully super educational as well. Um, I, thank you for that. And I think you, you heard the timer go off. So unfortunately, that's, that's the last question that we have time for. Well, um, thanks to the team to help me put the virtual challenge together. I don't want to leave anybody out. I didn't do this by myself. Okay. For sure. And I do want to say, um, if we can get, uh, let me back up. If we can, we'll add a link to the modules for everybody when we share the video so that if anyone that is interested can access those directly and you know run cool. through them if they want and hopefully help spread the word as well. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And thank you for having me for these uh, 17 minutes plus. I appreciate <laughs> the time, Anna. Yeah, of course. So Kimberly Richards, everyone, um, thank you. And we will see you next week. Bye-bye.